Chapter 47 of The Grell Mystery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christine Blashford. The Grell Mystery by Frank Froust. Chapter 47. When Heldon Foyle leapt forward, his whole body had been keyed for a struggle. Whatever resources Grell might have in the house, the detective stood alone, so far as he knew. It was possible that Green might have arranged to have the place watched, but on the other hand it was unlikely that he would do more than have the roads patrolled and the railway station warned. To have watched the Grange so effectively that no one could get away from it would have taken a score or more of men, and even so the position would have made it impossible for them to have remained hidden. All this Foyle reckoned on. He had hoped to find Grell and to catch him unawares, perhaps asleep. That project had failed, and when the man had replied to the woman's scream, Foyle had deemed the boldest course the safest. Grell had wrenched himself round, the fist of his free hand clenched, but he made no attempt to strike. An elderly woman sat up in bed, surprise and terror in her face. Just behind Foyle stood two maids in their night attire, shivering partly with cold, partly with fright, their eyes wide open. "'That is my name,' answered Grell, speaking as quietly as Foyle himself. "'I can guess who you are. "'If you will wait just a moment while I assure these women that there is no need for alarm, "'I will come down and talk with you. "'You had better go to sleep again, Mrs. Ellis, and you girls get back to bed. "'This is a friend of mine.' "'The maids retired reluctantly, and Foyle linked his arm affectionately in that of Grell. "'The alarm in the housekeeper's face did not abate. "'But who—who who is he?' demanded Mrs. Ellis, "'extending a quivering figure in the direction of the superintendent.' Grell lifted his shoulders. "'Mrs. Ellis is my housekeeper here,' he explained to Foyle. "'The maids didn't know I was in the place. "'It's all right, Mrs. Ellis. "'I'll just have a chat with this gentleman. "'Don't you worry.' He closed the door as he spoke. Foyle's right hand was resting in his jacket pocket. "'I may as well tell you, Mr. Grell,' he said, "'that I am armed. "'If you make any attempt at resistance—' "'You will not dare to shoot,' ejaculated Grell, smilingly. "'Oh, I know. "'We're in England, not in the backwoods. "'Come downstairs and have a drink. "'I don't want you to arrest me until we've had a talk. "'By the way, may I ask your name?' "'Despite himself, the superintendent laughed. "'If Grell was a murderer, he certainly had coolness. "'But there might be some trick in the wind. "'He was keenly on the alert.' "'Foyle is my name,' he answered. "'Superintendent Foyle. "'I am afraid I shall have to refuse that drink, "'and as for the talk, I may presently determine to arrest you, "'so anything you say may be used as evidence. "'Of course you know that.' "'Yes, I know that. "'No objection to my having a drink, I suppose, "'even if you won't join me. "'Sorry to seem ungracious, but even that I can't allow.' "'Ah, afraid of poison, I suppose. "'Just as you like. "'Well, here we are. "'If you will let go of my arm, I assure you "'I will neither attack you nor try to escape. "'Then we can sit down comfortably.' They had entered a room whose walls were lined with books and pictures, apparently the library. Foyle shook his head at the other's request. Of course, it might be all right, but the man was a suspected murderer. He would accept no man's word in such a case. I am afraid it is impossible, Mr. Grell, he said gently. I am anxious not to seem harsh, but you see, I am alone with you in my duty. If, however, you will allow me, I have a pair of handcuffs. Wide as his experience had been, he could not recall a notable arrest taking place in this way. He had fallen in with Grell's mood for many reasons, but he chuckled to himself as he made the polite suggestion of handcuffs. Grell did not seem to mind. His self-possession was wonderful. Foyle reflected that it might be reaction. The man was possibly glad the tension was over. "'By all means, if it will make you easier,' he said. Foyle slipped the steel circlets on his wrists, not with the swift click that is sometimes written of, but with deliberate care that they should fit securely, but not too tightly.' The juggling feat of snapping a pair of handcuffs instantly on a man is beyond most members of the CID. Grell selected a chair, and Foyle, watchful as a cat, sat by him. "'May I ask what you intend to do now?' queried the former. "'Wait till daylight, and then send one of the maids with a message to the nearest police station,' replied Foyle. "'Would you like a cigar? I can recommend these.' 
He proffered his case, and Grell took one. He held it between his fingers with a whimsical smile. "'Do you mind cutting it and giving me a light?' he asked. "'It's rather awkward with these, uh, ornaments.' The superintendent did as he was requested, and Grell puffed luxuriously. Foyle remained silent. Although he was aching to put questions, he dared not. "'Do you really think that I killed Harry Goldenberg?' asked Grell suddenly. "'I don't know,' confessed the superintendent noncommittally. "'I think you may have.' "'Yes, that's a pity,' said Grell, lifting his cigar to his mouth. "'This affair must have cost you a great deal of trouble, Mr. Foyle, and it's all wasted because, of course, I had nothing to do with it.' "'I want to know,' said Foyle, a bit of American vernacular that came from his lips unconsciously. "'Tell me why you never announced that I was alive,' asked Grell. "'You'll have to do it, you know.' "'Well, there's no harm in admitting now that one idea was to make you think that we were deceived, and so to throw you off your guard.' "'And it did until you got hold of Ivan. "'Well, you've made a mistake this time, Mr. Foyle. "'There were fingerprints on the dagger with which Goldenberg was killed, eh?' "'Foyle inclined his head. "'His blue eyes were alight with interest, which he made no effort to conceal. "'He half guessed what was coming, but he found Grell's ways disconcerting, "'and could form no certain judgment. "'Certainly Grell did not behave like a guilty man, that is, a man guilty of murder. "'But neither did he behave like an innocent man. "'He was too totally unconcerned with the gravity of his position.' "'Yes, there were fingerprints,' he said. "'I have a photograph of them in my pocket, if you would like them compared now.' "'With mine? That's what I was about to suggest. "'You'll find some writing paper and ink in the desk behind you. "'I suppose they will do.' The prisoner smiled as he saw Foyle carefully shift his chair to guard against any sudden rush before turning his back. He was a moment preparing the materials, and then placed a blank sheet of paper on a little table in front of Grell. "'Will you kindly hold out your hands?' he said." As Grell did so, he smeared the tips of the fingers of the right hand with ink. Now press your fingers lightly but firmly on the paper. Thank you. He brought a little standard lamp closer, and under its rays studied the two sets of prints closely. He did not need a magnifying glass to see that none of Grell's finger marks agreed with the two that were clear on the dagger. Grell leaned back in his chair as though the matter were one of complete indifference to him. "'Does that satisfy you, Mr. Foyle?' he asked at last. The superintendent nodded as their eyes met. "'It satisfies me that you did not actually kill the man,' he said steadily. "'I'll own I'm not surprised at that. "'I believe if you had killed him you would have been man enough to have stayed and faced the consequences. "'You will observe that I have not formally arrested you yet. "'But I do believe that you know all about the crime, that you were perhaps an eyewitness.' "'For the first time during the interview Robert Grell lost hold of his self-control. "'His fists clenched, and the steel of the handcuffs bit deep into his wrists "'as he momentarily forgot that he was handcuffed.' There was a meaning in Foyle's tone that he could not fail to understand. He caught at his breath once or twice, and his temples flamed scarlet. "'Speak plainly now,' he cried hoarsely. "'What are you hinting at?' Slowly, Heldon Foyle began to tear the sheet of paper bearing Grell's finger-marks into minute fragments. He was calm, inscrutable. "'I thought I made myself clear,' he replied. "'To make it plainer, I will ask you if a man, famous, rich, and with an honourable reputation, flies on the eve of his wedding-day, assisted by his valet, hides himself in a low part of London, and associates with doubtful characters, whose friends abduct and drug police officers, who uses, in short, every effort to avoid or to hamper justice, has not some strong reason for his actions? Is it not plausible to suppose that he is an accessory either before or after the fact?' Grell sighed as if in relief, and stooping, picked up his cigar, which had fallen on the carpet. He had recovered his calm. "'You are a better judge of evidence than I am,' he said, unemotionally. "'Personally, I don't think the facts you have mentioned would convict me of anything but eccentricity. Who is this Harry Goldenberg, anyway? Beyond the fact that he's my double, I know nothing of him. That's certainly a coincidence, but why on earth I should conceal anything I know is beyond me.' 
"'You're talking nonsense, Mr. Grell, and you know it,' said Foyle with a weary little gesture. "'There's too much to be explained away by coincidence. "'We know who Harry Goldenberg was, and that there was a strong motive for your wishing him out of the way.' "'He leaned over a little table, and his face was close to Grell's. "'You can only delay. You cannot prevent justice by keeping your mouth shut.' "'The firm lines of Grell's mouth grew obstinate. "'I shall stick to my story,' he said, and then with a return to his former flippancy of manner— "'You're a clever man, Mr. Foyle. I never realised till you and your men were on my heels how hard a time a professional criminal must have. Even now I am not clear how you knew I was down here. When I found the police in charge of the motor-car I had left, I thought they were merely guarding it as a derelict. I did not guess that you knew I had escaped from London in it.' "'A mere question of organisation,' said Foyle. "'As a matter of fact, we know most of your movements from the time you left Sir Ralph Fairfield's flat to the moment you separated from Lady Eileen at Kingston.' "'By the way, she made some money over to you. "'You may care to know that that was got by forgery.' "'Surprise had leapt into Grell's face "'as the superintendent dryly recounted his movements. "'It was succeeded by a flash of fury at the last words. "'Be careful, sir,' he said tensely. "'You need not lie to me.' "'It is the simple truth. "'Lady Eileen got a note from you asking for money. "'She had none, and her father was out, "'so she signed a cheque in his name and cashed it personally.' Grell's face had become grey, and he buried it in his hands. His shoulders shook, and Foyle could understand how hardly he had been hit. To have had to appeal to the girl for monetary help was bad enough. To find that she had committed a crime to help him was to add an anguish to his feelings that he had not known before. Somewhere in the house a clock struck midnight, the slow, deep strokes reverberating heavily. "'She did that, for me,' said Grell, lifting his head, haggard and wan. Then, as a thought occurred to him, "'She is not under arrest.' "'No, I had her word that she would inform her father.' Grell made no answer. He stared moodily in front of him. The superintendent had no desire to break in on his reverie. He walked across the room, picked up a magazine, and sat down, again facing his prisoner, where he idly turned over the pages. Presently Grell's head drooped forward. He was asleep. End of chapter 47